who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair yeah. and his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast that takes an in-depth look at the films of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Uh, what you just heard was a sampling of the song Breakdown by the rock band D2. Uh, clearly, this is the rock and roll themed episode of the show because we're taking a look at Dolph's fourth starring and directorial effort, 2009's Command Performance. In this heavy metal diehard, Dolph plays Joe, a rock and roll drummer who trades in his drumsticks for a machine gun when terrorists invade a rock concert in Moscow. In Russia, America's biggest pop star has come for the command performance, and the president and his daughters are the guests of honor. Until a group of kidnappers go, go, go. crash the party. I fully expect the money by midnight, or I will begin executing the hostages. Now, the fate of the country rests in the hands of one man. Lundgren. Command performance. I guess the show's over. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and who better to discuss this particular film with me than with an actual rocker himself, uh, Jeremiah Ludeman, fellow fan of action cinema and guitarist for the punk rock band No Bueno. Jeremiah, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Sean. This is a uh... My my very first podcast, so I'm super excited. So, <laughs> thank you very much for well, having me on. Well, very well. First of all, uh, tell me about your band, uh, No Bueno, because I've uh, actually we probably should back up a little. It's kind of amazing how when you meet certain people and certain people kind of um, come into your lives. It's kind of uh, 
odd how, how it happens, um, but it was pure coincidence or whatever. Um, I'll just uh, let the listeners and everybody know. Um, you and I are both uh, family men who dabble in some hobbies and passions, we'll say. And uh, yeah, when you and I got to talking or whatever, uh, you told me about your band. I told you about my podcast. And it was kind of wild because you said, well, I'd love to be on the show. I haven't seen a heck of a lot of his movies, but I do... Uh, love and appreciate the action movies, especially of the 80s and the 90s. And when I found out about your band and everything, I was thinking, wait a minute, Dolph did a movie that would be perfect for you to come on for. So yeah, it's funny how that uh, those things kind of serendipitously line up. Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, I mean, your band, No Bueno, I mean, this is a punk rock band. I will admit right now, as far as my uh, musical genres go, um, you know, I've always been a fan of... Um, uh, you know, hard rock, metal, a lot of uh, a lot of '80s kind of, you know, the the hair metal, if you will. And then I remember throughout high school, I was really big into punk and uh, ska music. So like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and the Pie Tasters and Real Big Fish. And I would say your band. I hope you don't mind me saying, but your band, I, I feel like, is a really cool kind of mix between those uh, those two genres. I, I appreciate that, man. I think that's a uh, a valid compliment. We. Um... You know, we're we don't claim to be doing anything that nobody's ever heard before. We're not breaking any molds. We just write really fun punk rock songs that by the end of the first time you listen to a song, you're already trying to sing along with it. You know, they're they're very poppy punk rock. It's the it's that nineties skate punk that we all grew up on and you know, lumping us in with, you know, boss tones and pie tasters and especially real big fish. Like I mean that's Ska music as it in itself of Real Big Fish and Less Than Jake are a couple of my most favorite bands. So it's it's uh, a huge compliment to even just have our name thrown out into a list with theirs. So thank you for that. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I guess how long have you been playing? I guess I have a couple questions actually for you. First of all, how long have you been playing? And I, the big question I have to know is, did you get into a, a rock band purely to meet chicks? Because I think that's kind of how a lot of my friends when I was in high school, that that's pretty much why they picked up a guitar. Well, so I've been playing music my whole life. Uh, I literally joined my first band in high school when I was 15. And I started as a bass player. And I picked up the bass because I knew even at 15, 16 years old, playing in high school garage bands, that if you played bass, you will always be able to be in a band because there's a thousand drummers, there's a thousand guitar players, and there's a thousand wannabe mediocre singers out there. And there's like seven bass players. So if you play bass, even just okay, you can always find a band. So that's literally how I got started was I just wanted to play music and I, I'm not that great of a guitar player. I'm not traditionally trained or schooled in any way whatsoever. Um, so the, the idea of wanting to play music to meet chicks is it's way bigger than that for me because meeting some girls was awfully cool. It's literally how I met my <laughs> wife. You know, like, no, no joke. She, she came to a show and met, a, we met each other that night and got married and I've been ruining her life ever since. So <laughs> it was definitely a, a benefit, but I, I just wanted to play music for people and, and write songs and get people's attention. And, and, and I have a, 
I have a pretty big ego, I'll admit, but there's just a feeling that is undescribable when you're on stage looking down at people, whether it's two or 10 or 200 or 2000, and they're passionately loving what you're doing. There's, there's no other feeling in the world like it there. It's, you know, sex or drugs or alcohol or anything else just doesn't compare to it for me. So I've, I'm, I'm an addict, man. I got to play music. I got to play guitar. I got to be in on stage in front of people. Well, yeah, I mean, I knew that this would be the perfect uh, fit for you um, because, you know, I, I have a lot of uh, questions regarding um, this film, particularly the inner workings of the business um, in, in terms of uh, concerts and rock bands and everything like that. So I'm going to kind of be referring to you as the uh, expert of sorts. But I guess I guess my first real big question right now that will get out of the way is, OK, you're playing at a show and it gets taken over by some terrorists, some bad dudes come in. In actuality, what is the rock band going to do? <laughs> uh, probably run like hell. <laughs> uh, yeah, to full disclosure, none of us are exactly that tough. <laughs> but, you know, like we all, it's funny to watch the movie because, you know, all of us think that we're the tough guy. We all think we're the hero. But let's be honest, man, if somebody puts an AK-47 in your face, I'm probably going to pee my pants. <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're going to run to the basement in the green room, grab as many beers as we can get and go hide in a closet and wait for this thing to blow over. Well, and like I said at the beginning, this is the, uh, this is the rock and roll themed episode of the show. Um, and I, I kind of, I kind of persuaded you before we, uh, got rolling that, you know, a beverage would be encouraged for this particular episode because I feel like that's pretty rock and roll. And so I don't know about you, but. I am, uh, I just cracked open, um, it is a, uh, Steigl Radler. Um, it's, it's funny. I found out about, uh, Radler, um, through my, one of my other cinematic heroes, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was watching a, uh, a video on YouTube where he's given like a tour of his kitchen and he, uh, told everyone that, uh, Radler was his favorite beer. And, uh, I've been drinking it ever since. I'll admit I'm, I'm a bit of a follower, but, um, it is, uh, it is, it is quite tasty. What are you drinking? Uh, well, I, I've got a couple beverages, uh, lined up for our, for our talk tonight, but, um, I currently, so I have a neighbor that, uh, is a alcohol liquor beer distributor and he doesn't drink. So he is generous enough to unload his unwanted booze into my house, which is an awfully nice benefit of having Big E as my neighbor. Um, <laughs> so he's always got these, uh, hard to find limited edition beverages. And I currently have a stone ghost hammer IPA, which the name of it is just, I mean, ghost hammer just sounds so badass, you know? Yeah. Uh, it just seemed like the perfect beer to start off with for, for our, for our talk. Yeah. But that is a I'm really a, good companion piece there. It's stone brew. That's uh that, that's the one where like the logo is like a gargoyle, right? Like a demon or something, correct. right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, and I'm not even an IPA guy necessarily, but some of these stones are pretty good. Very so. nice. So, okay, so if we could please let's um let's take a look at um because I know that you and I were both kind of raised on a lot of these films, and I know that um when we <laughs> when we first got to talking, um I don't know if Dolph was always uh your go to action guy, but I know you're a huge fan of like Bloodsport, right? Was is it oh, fair yeah. to say? It was Van Damme kind of your go-to uh, 
your your go-to star in when you would watch a lot of these action films? Were you an Arnold guy, a Stallone guy, or did you even go to Seagal? Uh, I I did all of them, man. I I my one of my earliest memories of being a little kid and being introduced to films was I can't remember which one of my uncles it was, but it, one of my uncles sat me down and we watched. Uh, oh man, it was a Chuck Norris movie. He's invading a Vietnam Vietnam camp or something. And there was like three of them. And oh, missing like, in action. Like, missing in action. Yep. Yeah. And like, I just remember Chuck Norris and I was a, I grew up in martial arts, you know, my uncle Joe was a black belt Taekwondo and, and a bunch of other martial arts. And, you know, he, he kind of showed me the ropes of training and fighting. And so growing up, that's all I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be a, a fighter. So, but Van Damme was, Van Damme was my dude, you know, like I watched all of his movies. I watched Kickboxer and Bloodsport probably once a week for about <laughs> five years straight, you know? So, and I think I, did I, I think I told you about my, my Bloodsport shirt that I had made. That, yes. You know, yes. But, but remind me again, because it's with the, uh, it's with Ogre, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and nobody ever gets it because it, Ogre was, uh, he's obviously famous for from the nerds movies, but he played the, he played Jax in Bloodsport. And my favorite part when I was like eight years old, you know, is the, the cops are coming to grab him in the airport and they're like, you're coming with me, pal. Jack stands up and he's like, I ain't your pal, dick face, you know? And my eight year old brain just thought that was the funniest line in the history of cinematic, you know, script screenwriting ever. And so I literally made a t-shirt of that screenshot of him pointing at the guy. And it says, I ain't your pal, dick face. And every time I wear it, people are like, oh, the guy from Nerds. I'm like, no, it's Jax from Bloodsport. Come on. But nobody's <laughs> still, to this day, nobody's ever gotten that quote and gotten that movie right from the shirt yet. Well, you have one up on me, actually, because I've seen Bloodsport at least a dozen times, I'd say, but I, 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 I do not know the character's name, hence why I called him Ogre, actually, sadly. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah. Um, now, now to, how about Dolph? Okay, because obviously you are familiar with Dolph. Where has he always ranked for you in terms of uh, the action heroes, and what films of his had you seen? Because I think it's fair to say um, this particular film, not only had you not seen it uh, prior to your viewing, but you hadn't even heard of it before, right? So. What, uh, tell me about your experience and your exposure to him and, uh, how he's ranked for you. Well, full disclosure, uh, I had, you're right. I had never heard of this movie. Um, you know, Dolph, one of those characters or one of those actors that, you know, he was, he was almost as big as the rest of the guys in the eighties, but not quite, you know, so when, um, and he kind of seemed like he kind of, I don't want to say disappeared, but. You know, he was, he was a second hand man in all of the big eighties movies. Like obviously Rocky, he was the, the second star and is that Rocky three, four, four. Yeah. Okay. He was always just a guy that you would see around. And then I don't know, maybe it was I'm trying to think of which one it was it a came out about 10 years ago. And it's, it's the movie with all of the, there, there's like, like they got all of the, best top 10 action stars of the eighties back together. The Expendables. Just, the Expendables. Yes. I love yeah. that movie. Thank you. Yeah. For, there it is. You know, so he just kind of showed up 
for me, like he was an actor that I just forgot about or wasn't following or paying attention to for the better part of 15 years. And then he showed up in the Expendables and it's like, dude, there he is. Like that guy kicked ass, mm-hmm. you know? So it was cool to see him making a comeback in major motion pictures. That's about where my, my experience with Dolph as a leading man kind of gets connected. Well, I'll, um, I'll give you a little bit of background real quick. I mean, because, um, I, I think it's safe to say around the, the time this film went into production, Dolph was pretty much exclusively in the direct-to-video world, the direct-to-video market, if you will. And so his films were obviously going direct, direct to, well, before DVD, VHS, and then, you know, going straight to DVD. And so it was around this period where while they are being made for lower budgets and they are, they were being made for, more select markets than if they were going theatrical. Um, he had started stepping behind the camera and he had started, um, writing a lot of his own scripts and he had started directing a lot of his own, uh, his own films. Cause I think around this period, he was kind of saying, all right, look, if these are the type of films that I'm going to be getting, if I'm going to be getting these kind of lower budget, more independent films, well, then I'm going to be the guy directing them so that I can make sure that they, you know, stand out and look as good as they possibly can. And this particular film, I mean, I, I will say, like I said, he co-wrote it. He directed it. Um, obviously, he's the star. I mean, he is very invested in this film. And there are quite a few, uh, uh, you know, qu- quite a few aspects that, um, that, to why I think that. But um, I don't know if you picked up on that or not either. Uh, the fact that, yeah, this is a direct-to-video film. But I think it looks, it looks a little bigger and a little better than I think most of the stuff that was going straight to DVD on those blockbuster shelves looked around that time. You know, I, I, I fully agree with that. Um, you know, there's, there's a few lines and parts in the movie that, uh, you know, we'll get into and be able to pick apart a little bit that, you know, for lack of a better term, I, I found a little cheesy. Yeah. And <laughs> what, what, what kind of threw me for a loop was that this movie looks like a blockbuster. They clearly had better than average budget for a low budget direct to film in our direct to DVD type of movie, you know? So there's like, there's some certain parts in it where I was like, oh man, you could have spent 10 bucks more and done that part a little better, you know? And so, and then you can also tell when you watch it, especially no, not knowing Dolph's history, it, it seemed to me that it was a, a real passion project. For him, that was very personal that, you know, if, if he hadn't become a blockbuster actor, he likely would have been the drummer of a rock and roll band, you know, or would have, you know, he'd have been a, a Girl Scout dad like you and I, who happened to be <laughs> in a bar band on the weekends, you know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, um, a couple... A couple other things regarding uh, the, the film. Um, I thought this was interesting. I, I guess the whole idea of the film was inspired uh, by a concert that uh, Madonna did for the Russian president, uh, Vladimir Putin. That's that's kind of how uh, Dolph got the idea for the film. But I guess when he was shopping it around, he went to New Image, who um, that's the company who produced it. Uh, New Image had established uh, Dolph and New Image had, you know, worked on quite a few films. They had done about half a dozen films at this point together. So they agreed to finance the project, basically, if Dolph agreed to star in another project that they had lined up, but only in that particular project, Dolph was the uh, uh, just the actor. He was the gun for hire in that one. But despite the film taking place in Russia, 
Uh, the film was shot on the New Image studio lot in Bulgaria and also made on a $6 million budget. Now, a $6 million, $6 million budget, that's nothing you know to scoff at by any means, but kind of like you said, um, compared to some of the other big, big budget stuff that we see you know, hitting the theaters and everything like that, $6 million is is pretty short, but man... He makes the most of it, and like there are some explosions and everything in this film. To where I mean, I think had this been directed by any any other direct-to-video hack, I don't know if it would look as good as it did. But because this is Dolph, who had been in that world for as long as he has, well, he's gonna he's gonna make sure that those dollars are well spent. Yeah, and that's 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 very clear, you know, and. I, I doesn't matter what your profession is. I'm always a big fan of people that that can work on both sides of of their coin, so to speak. You know, he knows what it's like to be the action star, and so him taking that experience and moving himself to the other side of the camera to become the director, he knows the angles that are going to look good. He knows the the delivery that's going to sound good, and the lines that are going to work, and the lines that aren't going to work. You know, so it's I, I always appreciate when when you get those those you know, superstars, so to speak, that can do a little bit of everything and do it really, really well. Because yeah, you see, you hear stories all the time of actors that are like, "I'm going to direct now," and then they go direct a movie and it's a you know complete bomb. So it, it's it's thrilling to see him succeeding on both sides of the camera like that. Well, and I like the fact uh, that you said. I mean, that was actually one of my notes that I wrote down. But I love the fact that you said that it's very clear that this was a uh, passion project for Dolph because it's, I mean, I don't know if you picked up on this or not either, but it is for me, at least it was extremely clear that Dolph was having a lot of fun with this particular role. I mean, I would even argue that this is probably the most fun that he's ever had in any of his roles. I mean, let's just talk about his attire in the film Uh, throughout the entire 90 minutes. He is rocking uh, leather pants, tattoos, jewelry, spiky hair, He's also shirtless the entire movie, except for a leather vest. I mean, he he's having some fun. And I, I kind of had a theory about this. I wanted to get your take. Doesn't, I mean, <laughs> doesn't everyone always have the fantasy of being a rock star? I mean, maybe even it's subconsciously, but don't you think everyone has always kind of had that fantasy? So I'd like to think that one of the reasons why Dolph is having so much fun with this role is because he's getting to kind of live out that fantasy that everyone has had at least at some point in their life, right? Oh, you'd be lying if you didn't, you know, like if you didn't yeah. say, admit that or say that or think that, you know, and here's a, a very embarrassing uh, tidbit about me and my, my rock star dreams that uh, when I was about 20, maybe I, uh, I, I somehow, I don't even remember how I inherited a, pair of brown leather pants that were probably a size or two too small they fit me lengthwise but i couldn't button them and you know i'm a pretty pretty slender guy so you know i'm walking around at 20 years old with hair almost down to my shoulders you know and a big beard and these unbuttoned leather pants like i thought i was jim morrison you know and yeah trying to party as much as possible and and I, I wasn't even in a band or anything. I, I played guitar, but at that time I was just a, just a scumbag with nothing else to do, but try to look cool, you know, and, and try to portray a rock star when I wasn't even playing guitar much, you know? So everybody wants to, at some point in your life, like we've all had those phases of 
whether you had a ponytail or a, you know, the leather pants or the wallet chain or, you know, whatever it was that you, you just want to be cool because they're cool. You know, Dolph yeah. looks cool in this whole movie. Whether you like the movie or not, you can't deny the fact that he looks like a badass rock and roller. Well, and before we even sat down, I remember I, I sent you um, some of the promo images that Dolph used when he was kind of helping shop the film around and everything. I mean, and in those photos, I mean, and here, I mean, Dolph is a cool looking guy as is. I mean, he's physically fit and he's, you know, what, six foot five or whatever. But in those promo photos of him just holding that machine gun and then the tattoos and the jewelry and the spiked hair. I mean, not only does he get to kick plenty of ass as the hero, but he also gets to be the prototypical bad boy rocker. I mean, that that just has to be so cool to be playing. Oh, absolutely. And it'd be so fun, you know? And what, what I really appreciated about it is that a, a movie like this could have had, like, you know, like, I don't know how to say this right without it sounding bad, but because I don't mean it to be. But the whole time, the whole movie, I kept expecting the scene to come where he would be like, well, you know, I, I play drums now, but I was, uh, you know, a, a ranger or a Navy SEAL or, you know, <laughs> like it, it, he had some sort of professional training and then, you know, got blacklisted somehow. And now he plays drums in this rock band. But that never happened. The whole movie, he's like, yeah, I'm the drummer, dude. Like, what do you want yeah. from me? I'm a bike guy. I play drums. Like, I just happen to be good at kicking ass, you know? And and he married himself to that role. Like it like he like his tongue is it's almost tongue in cheek, but not quite, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I thought it was really, really fun that that the whole time, like that 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 part never happened, that he was just the rock and roller the whole movie. There was no wait, should we be giving spoilers away? I don't know if that was a spoiler or not. Well, I mean, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking to myself, had this movie been made today? Like if this movie, I mean, it's hard to believe that this, this movie was made about 11, 12 years ago, but I honestly think if this was made today, first of all, I think it'd be way too chung and cheek. I think it'd be almost a parody. And I also think what they would have done is they would have cast an actual rocker, someone who, you know, is known for their musical talents. And then we're watching them kick ass, but instead they're going the other way by casting an ass kicker and having him play the rocker. And that's, uh, that's one thing I love. And I actually, I have you beat actually with your embarrassing story. I'm going to embarrass myself as well. Um, just going along with the whole idea of fantasy of being a rock star. <laughs> I'll admit when I was in, when I was in college, uh, me and a couple buddies went to a Halloween party and we did decide to dress as heavy metal rockers where we wore wigs and, cut up our jeans and had the vests and put on the fake tattoos and everything like that. And it, it was really kind of interesting because while none of us could play an instrument to save our lives, and I know this sounds ridiculous saying, so please don't think less of me, but there was a real certain feeling of cool in pretending to be a rocker for that one night that I will never forget. Well, I think there's, you know, there's, there's something about it, man, that when, when we play a show, like, so we've, we, our band has done a lot of Halloween shows over the years and we did a, uh, you know, a Twisted Sisters 80s butt rock type of theme for our costumes one year. And, and, you know, I had all of the, the scarves and the ripped up pants and the, you know, it's super tight, but flared out bell bottoms, fringe on them. And, 
uh, you know, the wig and eye makeup and we, you know, we're in a punk band. Like we don't, we don't dress up like that. Like if I wore jeans and a t-shirt during the day, that's what I wear on stage at night, you know? So it was, it was super fun to, to incarnate that, uh, cause you just feel like you can get away with anything, you know? And, and you can't like, you're still you, but but you get, you get a little bit of extra swagger in your step, you know, and you throw your scarf over your shoulder and, you know, and give that whole, like, give me some sugar, baby, kind of yeah. attitude, you know? Yeah, well, and I mean, <laughs> I was thinking about this, too. The last, and this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but the last concert I went to, when you have kids, you know, it's it's hard to do these things. But uh, the last concert I went to was uh, Guns N' Roses. And so this was a few summers back, actually. But I, I kind of, as I was watching this film and, and thinking about the whole idea of, you know, playing a rock star, I got to think about this as well, because I'm sure you see this as well when you're on stage or when you're um, going to different venues. But it's always amazing to me at these shows, and I'm going to throw myself under there as well, obviously. I'm not just going to point at people and say other people do this. But what I've noticed, it's amazing how many fans at these shows are dressed in rocker attire and how... Especially, I've noticed this with them, um, with a lot of a lot of women. A lot of the women um, will be dressed as groupies, and they are just loving it. And then they're all taking these uh, selfies and these photos, and they're all mugging for the camera, doing the stereotypical sign of the horns or whatever, right? With with their fingers and everything. And yeah, it, it's it, and it's wild because it's almost like when people are ingratiated into this environment, we let loose. We embrace the mentality of rock and roll, and then on Monday morning, go back to our everyday nine to five jobs and our families and whatnot. But for that one night, it's always a, a spectacle to, to be a rock star. Oh, and it's so much fun, you know, that yeah. you, especially if you're in this like 30 to 50 age group, late thirties to fifties that, you know, we grew up on the eighties and the nineties, the, the, the poison and Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and Los Angeles, Sunset Strip and Hollywood and the dirt and the grime and the leather and the big hair. And, you know, like, when you were watching MTV, when you were, you know, 12 years old, that's what you saw. That was cool. That was the coolest of cool, you know, and we all wanted to be like that. You know, some of us just tried a little harder to, to <laughs> follow that, you know, like I, uh, I'm 40 years old and I still haven't given up on the idea of trying to look cool once in a while, you know? Well, I mean, and so, yeah, so we've talked about Joe and his look and how he just, or excuse me, Dolph's character, we probably should say, uh, his character's name is Joe. Joe the drummer. That's all we pretty much get. And like I said, as soon as he comes on screen, we know that um, not just not just because it's Dolph, but the character itself um, exudes cool. He's riding a motorcycle and wearing this awesome attire that we've already talked about. Um, and uh, we find out, yeah, he's the drummer for a band called CMF. And everybody is just in awe of how cool he is. Even Venus, the pop star, who his band is opening for, as soon as she sees him, uh, she immediately, uh, cheesily uh, gets the hots for him. And she even asks her manager, hey, who's that drummer? So <laughs> so I got to make a comment here. Uh, the only part. So this is a two part comment. The. I, so the reason that I feel like it was a pet project for him, a passion project of his own, and, and I don't know this at all, but I feel like he is probably a drummer in his own right. Like he actually jams a little on his own and plays drums. He because does. Because that's really him playing the drums. I, 
And you can tell that yeah. he wasn't just banging on random drums. Like he was hitting the right, the right drums at the right time, you know? But the, 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 the funny thing is, is in the rock and roll world, the joke is always that, you know, like the, dr- who, who knows who the drummer is? Nobody cares about the drummer, you know? <laughs> like, and, and I'll be honest with you, the drummer is probably like, there's a million okay drummers. And exceptionally great drummers are few and far between. And they are the single most important person in the entire band. They're more important than the singer. They're way more important than the guitar players because they control everything on stage. They control your tempo. They control your attitude. They control when you start, when you stop. Everything is in their power. And the rest of the band has to follow them. They are in charge. But as soon as you get off stage... The singer and the guitar players get all the, all the attention, you know, and all the girls and all the high fives and the handshakes, you know, like if you think about spinal tap, I mean, they did it best that, you know, the drummers, like, I think they, they, the spontaneously combusted like 13 drummers or something in the, in the course of the movie, you know, so to have, that's the only part of this movie that the whole time I was like, the drummer doesn't get the chicks, man, yeah. you know, cause you know, like he should have been the singer. He should have been the lead guitar player. But that's how I knew that he was a drummer in real life because he played the drummer in the movie and the drummer got to be the star, which doesn't really happen that often. Yeah. I mean, sorry to interrupt you earlier, but yeah, this was, this is Dolph really playing the drums. And that just, that just kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about how, uh, yeah, like you said, this was a passion project. This was something that he was, um, heavily invested in. And one thing that I haven't said that I probably should, uh, mention as well is back when this came out again, direct to DVD, Dolph hit the marketing train pretty heavily with this one. Which for a direct to video film that you're going to, you know, see hitting the, the shelves on Blockbuster, that's going to be its big premiere. You don't see that in terms of marketing, but Dolph, God bless him. He, um, he did interviews on, um, on shows, uh, on Red Eye, on the channel G4. He even went out to, uh, Fort Hood, Texas and mingled with the soldiers out there all to help get the word out about the film. In fact, if you want, um, you can find it on YouTube, but, uh, Dolph did a, uh, uh, it was right around the time this came out, actually. But um, he was singing um, the the Elvis song, uh, A Little Less Conversation. And so he comes out on stage. It was like this big thing in Sweden or whatever. And so he comes out on stage and he's singing the song, uh, A Little Less Conversation. And he does everything. He, he karate chops some bricks. And then he runs over to the drums and he does a drum solo. And he's dancing. I mean, he is a... In case... I mean, I'm sure you know that he's extremely intelligent, but... The guy's also extremely talented as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and that's great. You, like, you know, he's not faking it, you know? No. And that's what, I, that's what I think is cool. Cause in, in, in the rock and roll world and in this action star movie world, it would have been so easy, like you said, to just cast a rock and roll guy that everybody knows and let his star power as a singer carry the movie as a, you know, he's a real singer, but he's a cheeseball uh, actor, you know, or he's not a, like, a Jared Leto pops into my head right away because he's an amazing musician for 30 Seconds to Mars and obviously an incredible actor fight club and a million other amazing movies but he's not an action star like he's i was not just gonna say buff and tough you know <laughs> like you never would have believed that he's in there saving the an entire concert from you know a russian takeover you know whereas dolph can actually sell that yeah well and here's this is gonna be my next question that i that i wanted to get your take on i don't know if this is something that you picked up on or not so basically, yeah, Dolph's band, they're opening for uh, this pop star by the name of Venus. And so she's playing at a concert in Russia. And uh, the, the Russian president, um, whose name is um, Alexei Petrov, is in attendance along with his two daughters. Interestingly, I don't know if you knew this or not, but interestingly, uh, one of the daughters is actually played by one of Dolph's very own daughters. So I thought that was kind of cool. But the, the thing I, I had to ask, because I thought this was kind of odd. In your experience, Jeremiah, uh, playing venues, have you ever opened for a pop star? That, that's one thing that I, a heavy metal rock band playing alongside a Britney Spears type doesn't necessarily sound plausible. I would think that these two genres of music wouldn't even cross paths or no. I mean, what was your feeling on that? Uh, I am so glad you brought that up because okay. like, I, as a as a musician, I have played on some really strange bills over the years. As, okay, you know, I've always played heavier music, heavy metal, punk rock related uh, music, and you know, we've played with some country artists, we've played with some hip hop artists over the years, we've we've played with some poppier artists over the years, but like the stark difference of a fully choreographed probably lip syncing while they're dancing <laughs> legit pop star having a heavy metal band open for them it's almost impossible you know and like even if you go to like uh you know nowadays well nowadays nobody's going to anything but in our current uh concert going a lot of people go to festivals and it's really cool to go to a festival these days and you can see uh you know the cure and Weezer and Wu Tang Clan and Slayer all at the same show. But that's, that's a big festival where there's, you know, 40 bands playing all day long on three different stages. That doesn't happen very often in, you know, in a single show event. But what, what I, the way I sold it to myself is that, at least for, for command performance was that the the president the russian president his girls were obviously a huge fan of of the pop star and i just had to tell myself that they were also a huge fan of uh c is it cfm was the name of the band yeah 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 so CFM. okay so that makes sense you know so there was like a a special event that the president decided to make my girls happy i'm going to have these two bands play for my daughter's 13th birthday 
you know, or whatever it was, you know, and that's how I sold it to myself to be plausible. Well, I mean, and so the character of Venus is, uh, and I actually, I, I think you've gotten me to come around on it, Jeremiah, because that, uh, that makes a little more sense, actually, because I was just thinking to myself, okay, that Guns N' Roses concert that I went to a few years ago, I could not imagine if it was GNR opening for, I'm trying to think of who some of the poppy stars are nowadays, the young, young gals like Taylor Swift or whatever. I don't know if I could see that. <laughs> of course, Axl Rose is, what a, he's about money, so I guess he, I could see him doing that, actually. Oh, talk about it. What a, what a great daddy-daughter night. You know, know. Taylor so. Swift and Guns N' Roses, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a family outing right there. Well, I don't know if you looked her up or not, um, but uh, I, I do remember this, this reality show when it was on, um, it was in search of the next Pussycat Doll, I guess, uh, the Pussycat Dolls, it's like a, a dance crew, I don't even know if they're still around or not, but the actress who plays Venus, um, her name is Melissa Smith. She uh, she was on that show on, on that uh, particular uh, uh, program, and she's gotten uh, quite a few uh, film roles ever since. But um, the song that she sings, that is actually her singing it. Now, granted, it's I'm assuming she's lip syncing it um, in, in the film, but um, you you can find it on YouTube. That song, "Lost in Love," is the name of it. That that's that's really her singing it. So she does. She also they they cast a, a gal who has some singing talent. We'll say. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I got to be honest with you. I didn't, I intentionally did not do any additional research on this movie, Um, which is weird for me because if I watch any movie, uh, I have a tendency to go straight to Wikipedia or IMDb and find out who directed it, who wrote it, when it was made, um, who starred in it, what's real, what's not, what's some funny stories from behind the scenes. And knowing that I was doing it for this podcast, I didn't want my opinions to be clouded by knowing different information, you know? So I, I didn't, I didn't look up anything beyond, I watched all the credits of the movie. I watched the beginning of the introductions. Um, I, I didn't even take notes on the movie because I wanted our conversation to be, uh, not, not, not. I don't know what the right word is, not clouded by, you know, other judgment. I, I, I wanted it to be as natural as possible. So, you know, like, it's cool to know that she's actually a legitimate, talented person, you know, and she wasn't just up there like, hey, you're pretty, go dance a little and yeah. we'll put you in a movie, you know. She, she's a good singer. I, I don't, I have to question her, her acting talents a little bit. Um, because, because for me, uh, what does not feel, uh, very natural, um, there is some pretty terrible and flirtatious banter between, uh, between her and Joe. Like I said, I think it's, uh, it's pretty comical how as soon as she sees him, she's immediately, you know, tipping her, her, her sunglasses down at the bridge of her nose and 
asking who's that. And then as soon as she sees him, um, she's just coming on to him immediately, inviting him to a party after the show. I mean, so I, I had to uh, laugh at, uh, at these moments here. God, they love me here in Russia. You're the drummer for my new warm-up act, right? Right. What's your name again? It's Joe. Hey, uh, you want a party later? Look, with all due respect, uh, you got a hell of a voice. Why waste it? This techno dance crap. Because I get a private jet, 20 dancers, and a $50 million record contract. It pays the rent. Are you sure you want to open up this tour for me? It pays the rent. Yeah, I, I did too. The the literally the very beginning that scene where she tips the glass. You know, he's backstage and he's smoking the joint on the stairs, and you know, <laughs> looking like the typical rock and roller. And you know, and she's like, "Who's that guy?" You know, yeah. Like, ah, oh, come on, you haven't even talked to him yet. You know, he's like fifteen years older than you. And give me a break. You know, and he's the drummer. He's the drummer, man. Come on, you know. So, uh, and I, I probably shouldn't be bashing drummers. I have, I've, I've got a bunch of them. They're my best friends. But it's just funny to, to, to make that joke, you know. Well, and we know. I mean, this being an action movie, that uh, bad guys are also in attendance at this concert, and they, they have plans to, to wreck havoc. And this is, I want to get your take on this as well. I mean, because let's face it, this is basically a take on the classic diehard trope and scenario where um, terrorists commandeer a place with a ton of innocent civilians and it's up to one man, one man to save the day. I mean, it, it's really kind of interesting because I feel like back in 1988 when Die Hard came out, I mean, talk about lightning in a bottle. I mean, Bruce Willis, of course, you know, he kickstarted that entire setup. Um, with the film Die Hard, obviously. And what followed over the years, and we're still seeing it a little bit to this day, were tons of copycat films, but with new settings and lo locales. I mean, it almost became, it almost kind of became comical in a sense. You know what I mean? Like, where are they going to set Die Hard, uh, Die Hard at this point? And so what followed, if you remember over the years, we had Die Hard on a train, Die Hard on a plane, Die Hard on a battleship. I mean, we even, I mean, you know, Van Damme, he even tried his hand at it where he did uh, Die Hard in a hockey stadium, uh, which was the film uh, Sudden Death. But surprisingly, we never had Die Hard at a concert. So I guess that touch is pretty original, right? I, 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 I didn't think about it like that, but you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, what, the, the movie that, that I got, the, 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 the feeling of the, that I kept getting or the reminiscent, movie that i kept getting from it was uh um do you remember the last boy scout oh yeah yeah With bruce willis and damon wayans and, and damon wayans yeah and throughout the movie bruce is keeps telling damon like the one line in that movie that always stuck with me is like you got to have a catchphrase like if you if you bust a surfboard over a guy's head you got to say surf's up bro you know yeah. and <laughs> and he's like teaching him how to be the corny atypical badass you know movie hero guy and throughout this movie Dolph has a lot of those moments where he's like you know where he takes the guitar and he smashes it over the guy and breaks it in half and then he stabs him in the stomach with it you know and you're like like 
Pete Townsend couldn't break a guitar on a stage with five swings. Kurt Cobain <laughs> couldn't break a guitar with, you know, when he was doing that without, you know, really trying. But Dolph is the badass, atypical rock and roll mercenary guy. He could swing a guitar and break it in half, no problem, and then use it to stab the guy to death. You know, I, like it's it, it's so tongue in cheek, but but like perfect for the movie, you know. Right. Well, I mean, and um, before we get to the uh, the terrorists, as the terrorists come in and 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 take the place over, um, I will say, you know, again, looking at uh, Dolph's directing style, um, I actually really like the scene that shows Dolph and his band playing their warm up act. Um, again, the song being played is the one that uh, I played uh, briefly at the beginning of the episode, uh, Breakdown, which is uh, by some band, D2. I've never heard of them. But I thought this was efficient storytelling and editing here because as they're playing, intercut with this scene are shots of the terrorists gearing up and getting armed. And obviously, I'm assuming they did this also for you know time constraints or whatever, but I thought that looked pretty good in terms of, uh, in terms of the storytelling there. You know, I that I don't know if this is a complaint necessarily, but I was a little let down, to be honest, that there wasn't a little more focus on the the musical aspect of the movie. Uh and to be honest, I don't know what I would have wanted more of, because let's face it, the movie's not about the music, it's about Dolph kicking ass. So they had to get through the music stuff pretty quick. So they could get to the ass kicking, you know, and that's, that's what we all paid for. So it makes sense that they kind of, you know, touch base that he's the drummer, the band's playing, they're rocking out, the crowd loves them. They're actually rock stars, you know, cause they, they could have, if, if they were the nobody opening band, and this goes back to why I feel like, you know, the way I sold it to myself was that they're both, you know, the pop star and the metal band are legitimately big on their own is because the people in the crowd loved them, you know, and they're jumping up and down and singing along and fist in the air the whole time. So they knew who they were, you know, the opening band, I, I've been the opening band so many times where you're, you're playing to nine people and then the headlining band comes on and there's 200, 400 people playing. And you're like, where do they all come from? Like we just got off the stage 10 minutes ago and there's nobody here, you know? So, it's, 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 that tells me from a storytelling perspective that, that they are rock stars in their own right already, you know? So it's, that was kind of, I thought that was kind of neat that they were already a big deal. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up as well, because that was going to be one of the other points as well that I felt, you know, when I first saw this 11 years ago, I didn't really think of it then, but, but when I watched it again on my repeated viewing, I really noticed it. I mean, obviously I know that this is Dolph's movie clearly but i'm also surprised at how his entire band is jettisoned in the movie and tossed to the side i mean not only are they completely mia from all of the action but we're never really even given any character development from them at the beginning of the film at all i mean and even and i was thinking to myself this as well i mean they could have had dolph team up with one of the members of his band but no he teams up in a sense with um one of the russian presidents uh security guys or whatever but i mean did that kind of disappoint you as well it was i was kind of like, what the hell happened to dolph's band i guess they're cowards right they they ran away i i literally thought the same thing i was like they 
And again, I, I feel so bad because I keep beating up the drummers here, but the 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 joke, the easy joke would have been to to have the singer and the drummer team up just long enough to get the singer killed by a bad guy. You right. know, that so then Dolph would have this like, you know, like, how dare you? I'm gonna avenge my singer, you know, kinda to drive him. You know, because he had the 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 flaw to me, other than the fact that he's just a badass and he can, you know, beat people up and kill people pretty easily, he really has no drive to save the day. You know, like and that's the one thing that I, I like we never met the band. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they went. They don't know if they got <laughs> killed. They disappeared. Like they just kind of weren't there. And I, the whole time I was like watching that beginning, I was like, oh man, that would have been such a good inside joke to the rock and rollers of the world to, you know, to kill off the singer because he's not tough enough to be the hero, but the drummer is, you know? Right. Right. Well, I mean, and I mean, th this kind of goes into, I mean, the other question I was going to ask you in terms of, in terms of rock and roll, but so the terrorists, you know, they're clearly after the Russian president and they blast away at his security. Um, and Joe, while all this is happening, Joe, <laughs> Dolph's Joe the drummer, is getting stoned in the bathroom. I mean, this is an interesting touch, as if his character wasn't enough of a quote-unquote bad boy. Well, he's also going to be getting high afterwards, which begs the question to me, why go to the restroom? I mean, I get what this is doing. I mean, let, let's face it. What this is doing, this is allowing his character to be preoccupied during the takeover. And again, in all of these diehard in a blank films, if you think about it, the hero is always away and by himself. Hence why the, the hero is not one of the um, hostages who's who's taken captive, right? So in Die Hard, if you remember, John McClane was, was up in his hotel room sulking because his, you know, wife pissed him off and then in uh, under siege with steven seagal steven seagal was um he pissed off his um his commanding brass and so he was punished and and locked in the uh the meat refrigerator for punishment and so what that does is it gives your hero an easy out so i get why they did that but i have to ask at, at the end of a show is a rocker gonna go get high in the bathroom by himself i would think that <laughs> i would think that he'd be you know having fun with his band right uh no well it, it depends on the show it depends on the night and okay uh you know i personally on, on like playing music for people is a very cathartic thing to do and some shows are amazing some shows suck sometimes the audience sucks sometimes you suck you know and but sometimes it's exhilarating and everybody's on and the audience is singing along and and you're playing everything perfect and the band is perfect and the 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 high that you get from that is equal to the low that you can get from that. So after a show, I personally actually do go backstage or you know back to you know my back to the van or you know wherever we're at and and take five or ten minutes to chill out by myself and, oh, and recollect. Okay. You know because. The the reality of being in a band is it's such a, any art is very personal. And if you don't do your art at the level that you want it to be, then you're going to beat yourself up over it. 
even if nobody else in the room will ever know. Like, I used to have a problem on stage when I'd make mistakes, I'd roll my eyes. I very visibly would, like, shake my head and roll my eyes to call attention to myself for screwing up, you know? And it's like, well, why would you do that? 85% of the room doesn't know you just made a mistake. They don't even know these songs anyways half the time. So why would you draw attention to the negativity? You know, and then I'd go off stage and sulk and be angry. And, you know, then other times you'd play perfect. You'd be so good and feeling great. You'd have to go backstage and calm yourself down because you're just going to run out into the crowd and just start blabbering at people and, you know, with excitement and they're, you know, and it's kind of addicting and it's fun, but you just kind of look like a jackass too. So it kind of makes sense that he had a really good show. He he needed to take a minute to collect his thoughts, you know, and he's obviously got this, this, you know, teeny bopper superstar that wants to get, get, get with him after the show. So, you know, he's got to, got to collect himself a little bit, you know, wipe, wipe off the, wipe off the sweat a little to get ready for, for the party later, you know? Okay. All right. Well, you've gotten me to turn around on that. Thank you. Because that was the one thing I was thinking to myself. Okay. So you know what? That makes it a little more legit, more legit. That makes sense. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I didn't even catch that. Like I've, I've, I've recognized all of the examples you gave the, the under siege one was always one that I was like, Hey, well, nobody's going to put him in the freezer. Why would yeah. you do that? That's so cheeky. You know, like that's just not real. So, but I didn't even pick up on this particular like hideaway moment. So it's, I'm, it's cool. You pointed that out. I didn't even notice it. Well, so, I mean, virtually every attendee and concert goer at the show leaves, but the terrorists do succeed in capturing the Russian president, his daughters and a news crew, as well as Venus and some members of her groups and, uh, or excuse me, of, of her, um, of her pop group, if you will. Um, and, you know, the, the motives of the terrorists, at least in the beginning, are never really 100% clear, at least until at least until the end. And as it turns out, spoiler, Oleg, um, who is the leader of the terrorists, so this is the big bad guy, he's taken revenge on the Russian president because um, it turned out it turns out prior to becoming the president, um, Petrov was the prosecutor who was involved in the uh, trial against those who attempted the failed Russian coup back in 1991. We didn't, we didn't really talk about it, but at the very beginning of the film, the film opened with a text crawl stating that in 1991, there was a coup that was attempted on the Russian pre president and um, that was not successful. And so Oleg, I guess, was a young boy then, and his father was the one who led that coup. So not only is he taking vengeance on Petrov, but he's also trying to complete what his father couldn't do. I don't know about you, but I actually thought, I thought that this was kind of a, you know, a fairly ingenious and creative touch because so many times in these films, the bad, the bad guys come in and all they want is money. You know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of an easy out for a lot of these action movies. They want, you know, $10 million. And, you know, if, if they don't get, you know, so much money by at the end of every hour, they pick off another hostage. This, to me, I thought this was a clever touch and this made it much more personal. You know, I, the, the funny thing is about the, the you know, storyline, uh, full disclosure, I don't remember that, uh, text crawl coming across the screen at all. Uh, it just didn't register with me. And I actually had to watch the, the second half of the movie twice 
because I couldn't, I just couldn't put together his motivation. It goes quick. To, because I, well, and they make it very clear that this isn't about money. It's, it's about revenge. And that part is clear. What the revenge was, was like, wait, was he the, like, was he like a cousin or something? Or was, yeah. was his dad was supposed to be the president or, or like, was he supposed to be the president? But he was only like 13 at the time. Like, I don't understand with, you know, so it, 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 I had to watch it again to, to put that all together. Um, having paid closer attention, I guess I would have registered the text crawl at the beginning, which would have made more sense, but it was, um, I do think it's, it was interesting to see that this has nothing to do with money. It's it, it's they, and they even make the joke at one point. He's like, we want flat screen TVs and we want, uh, fast food and we want, you know, whatever, you know, he kind of made a joke about the things that they want, you know, and then, but didn't still didn't, we didn't know that it was a revenge game at that point. So that was kind of a, kind of a funny little homage to all of the cheesy storylines of, of every other bad guy terrorist takeover movie. So I thought that was kind of funny. Well, you know what I appreciated about it? I mean, because we, we can say right now, I mean, it is a pretty silly movie. I mean, let's face it, but I feel like that element right there added a level of respectability to it and added a level of seriousness to it. Because like I said er earlier, I mean, this film teeters on a level where it could dive into self-parody if it wanted to. You know what I mean? I mean, and it could be like, you know, one of those silly uh, parody movies, if, if you will. But the fact that they put that in there, it, it has a it has a nice balance because there are, you know, like you said earlier, there are some cheesy moments, sure. But, you know, having this uh, element in there, if you will, I think it, uh, it balances it out just right to where, yes, it is a, f a silly action movie at times, but it's not as goofy and ridiculous as it could be. Well, that's, that's what kind of goes back to what I was saying about the, you know, expecting that scene of him to be like, well, yeah, I'm retired CIA, but, you know, I, but now I play drums in a band. Like, that's a totally believable thing. Like, that's, you know, you, that's not really believable. So I, I appreciated that they stuck to the rock and roll storyline, even though some of the lines that he delivers of, you know, I got a big record deal coming up with your label after this. They're not going to yeah. stop me. You know, it was like, come on, dude. You know, but, but that's the, that's the thing. Like a rock and roller would potentially think like that. They, they definitely wouldn't be like, well, in my CIA training, you know, or like, and they, like you said, they, they could have, you know, they, they towed the line so carefully of two more jokes and it would have been a parody of itself, you know, but they, they kept it on the side of serious just enough so it kept it fun you know because you expected it to be you keep expecting it to fall off the rails and become just too silly to tolerate but it then it somehow sucks you back into being a real movie a real action flick well i'm so glad that you brought up uh a joe's background in his past as well because that's something else that i that i really liked as well because yeah in, in so many of these movies you're exactly right he would have been ex-cia i mean <laughs> Going to Steven Seagal, I mean, that's pretty much what he is in every single movie is, you know, he was ex-Special Forces, ex-CIA, ex-whatever. And they could have done the same thing. They could have made Dolph an ex-cop or an ex-Special uh, special Forces guy, whatever it may be, 
And then, but then that wouldn't really make sense about why he suddenly became a rocker. And so I loved the fact that uh, we do get some background on his past to, I mean, because you do need, if, if your rocker character is going to be kicking ass, well, then you do need some kind of background, no matter how loose it may be, that kind of explains how he is such a badass. And I love the fact that they state uh, that he was a member of a biker gang back in the States. And basically what his brother was shot by some uh, Colombian drug dealers and then he killed them in retaliation. And afterwards he fled the U.S. and has resided in Russia ever since. He's adamant about not going back to the States. And so I actually I, I really liked this because if this was any other movie and again, if it wanted to be a parody, they could have made him, you know, an, an ex what is it? Like you said, ex CIA or an ex cop or whatever it may be, who just decided to moonlight doing doing drums or whatever. Well, that's always the joke, you know. It's like the 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 the, the hero at his prime was a you know a, a you know a Navy SEAL, and at thirty five <laughs> he wanted to be a dog walker, right? You know, and then has to save. It's like that. It's just not like nobody quits the Navy SEALs at in their at the prime of their career. So they can go be a chef, you know, like that doesn't happen. So it was, uh, I, I, like I said, the same as you, I, I appreciated that they stuck to that, you know, uh, storyline of him. He's been a, a troublemaker, badass his whole life. And that led him to playing drums, you know? Well, and we get another little, uh, little unique character quirk and touch. He also despises guns and refuses to be around them. Hence his clever methods. We haven't talked about in detail his his methods for dispatching of some of these bad guys. But yeah, he despises guns because that is how um, his uh, his brother was killed, and so he refuses to uh, to touch them. However, I thought it was kind of uh, comical. Uh, he gets over this pretty quickly and uh, takes no time in uh, arming himself uh, for the final act of the film. So I, I thought that was super funny too. That for a guy that. Uh, you know, claims to have not touched a gun in, you know, what seems to be a very long time. When he finds that table full of guns and clips and ammo, he sure knows how to arm himself and get those guns loaded, you know, and ready for war really, really efficiently. You know, like I'd look at that table and be like, uh, I'm not sure which one goes with which. Yeah. So, how does this work know. again? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll pull the trigger. It's all I, I know the trigger does something, but I don't know how to load the thing. So, <laughs> well, and okay. So I don't know about you, but the death scenes in this film are awesome. I mean, we can just run down them real quick. I love the death by drumstick scene where Dolph is uh, on the ground and the dude is on top of him and he takes the drumstick and what does he shove it up through his jaw and then it goes through his eyeball. That was awesome. Yeah. It's, it's so brutal. <laughs> Um, the other great one is, uh, you, you mentioned it where he uh, cranks the volume on the speakers and then strums the guitar, then he smashes it and then stabs one of the terrorists with, what, what is that? The, what is that called? The neck of the guitar, right? The, the neck of the guitar. So I've got a really, uh, uh, um, a part here of that scene that, that just stuck in my cross so bad. So as a, cause my day job, I'm a, I, I'm a sound guy. I'm a video engineer. I, I do live event production for concerts and theater and corporate events. So the the soundboard that he goes up to is backstage for one. So that just in itself isn't realistic. And if it were 
backstage. It would actually be side stage, and that'd be from uh, what's called a monitor engineer. And that's the guy that does sound just for the band, just for the speakers that are on stage facing back to the to the band so they can hear themselves singing and playing. Um, but that's the soundboard that he cranks up every single channel. Like he, it's like a, and another thing that's silly about it is that it's like a 16 channel mixer or something. And a live band has like a 42 channel or 64 channel mixing board. So that's like not even enough channels to do a concert of that magnitude. But then he cranks them all up at the exact same time to a hundred percent and nothing happens. So what's silly about that is that the drums are still set up on stage. The microphones are still on stage. The other instruments are still on stage. So if he cranked up all of those channels, instantly something would have started feeding back. And then he walks out on stage and hits, cranks that guitar and it's, you know, gives the, the death rattle of, of metal <laughs> and, and it goes out into the whole audience and everybody goes deaf. And the reality of that is if all of that stuff was connected properly, the only people that would have been bothered by it would have been the people on stage and it wouldn't have been that loud that it would have been like painfully deafening, you know? So that was the whole, like, as soon as, and then he followed it up with breaking the, you know, that's a Gibson Les Paul, like, which are known to, to break easier than some other guitars, but you wouldn't, it would never in a million years break over somebody's body. But I love the fact that, he did break it and then takes the neck of the guitar with the strings still dangling off of it and stabs it into his stomach. You know, I literally like was watching the movie in my basement and was like, yes, it's so like, it great. Him on. It's so great. Well, I mean, and I was all mad at him for how fake it was. And then when he did that, I was like, it's totally fine that that was fake. That was badass. Well, and I also love the scene where, um, he stabs one of the guys in the top of the head with a huge knife. So basically this guy is attacking the president's daughter, who in actuality is actually Dolph's daughter. And just how he takes that knife and just, and I don't, I can't think of any action movies where I've really seen the hero take a knife and plunge it into the top of a dude's skull. I don't know how practical it is, but my God, if it doesn't look cool, <laughs> him doing it. Yeah, that's that was another one that really stood up well stood out and like and I, I can't remember what you know, like the 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 bad guy that's you know trying to hurt the daughter is like you know, he turns around, he's like Oleg or whatever the bad you know, the leader's name is, and he stabs him in the head and he falls over, he's like, No. Nope. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's just like so perfectly like that was one of those when I you know, thinking of like the last Boy Scout where he's like, you know, that that should have been a better catchphrase of, you know, like, nope. Looks like you lost your head, you know, or or something, you know. Yeah, he. So I, I had to laugh at. That yeah, one. Dolph gets some uh, fun one-liners in this one. I mean, we haven't uh, mentioned it, but yeah, when he uh, kills the one dude with the drumstick, uh, what is it he says to him? He says, "Watch the hair, dude." You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the, there's a the my favorite line of the entire movie, the best one-liner of the entire movie, in my opinion. Is when he's talking to the, the, the pop singer, you know, and he's like, he's like, well, I'm going to have to renegotiate my royalties after this, you know, and she's like, how can you possibly be thinking of, of, uh, business at a time like this? You know, and he's like, baby, uh, dying's easy. Rock and roll yes. is hard. <laughs> you know, 
I was like, oh man, that was a, that was a little over the top in the cheese for me. Well, I mean, the, the final fight in the film, I, I think is uh, choreographed pretty well. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much a Joe versus Oleg and they're wrestling and trading punches in the, uh, what is it? The cellar or the basement that's underneath the concert venue. So we get, we have some broken pipes. So water is leaking and they're thrashing around in this water. I, I think it looks pretty cool. And, uh, Joe gets the upper hand and he is able to, uh, uh, kick Oleg, um, where he impales Oleg onto a pipe. But Oleg is not entirely dead as most villains are in these films. And so as Oleg is reaching for the gun, I thought this was kind of cool. It's the president who is able to uh, blast him, thus killing him for good. I thought that was a, that was kind of a cool touch there. It was neat that, uh, that the, the hero ends up not being the actual final hero. But you know what my favorite part of that whole scene was? Is like they're in the basement. It's all steamy, you know, and there's steam everywhere. The Oleg falls on that steam pipe and his body is literally has steam coming out of him during that. You know, and I was like watching, I was like, I don't know if that's real or not. You know, like I, 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 I don't have a frame of reference that if a steam pipe impales you, if steam would start to, you know, fill your body at all. But I just thought that was such a like one of those little, little moments in the movie that they didn't have to add. It was obviously added as a special effect, you know, and in post-production to have steam coming off of him and out of him. You know, I was like, that's, that's a neat little tie in to what he just fell on, you know, to make it look like there was a reason for it to be there. Not just some, you know, random pipe happened to be on the floor where he fell, you know? Well, I mean, they're, they're cribbing from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in commando, right? Cause if you remember in commando, that's how, uh, that's how Arnold uh, killed Bennett was he threw that pipe into him and, that impaled him against the wall and steam's coming out. And then Arnold gets that great line where he uh, tells Bennett to uh, let off some steam. Get it? So. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> I love that, though. That's a, see, that's great. There's a lot of little homages to to their their past, so yeah. to speak, throughout this movie. Well, the great thing about the character of Joe that I appreciated with this is while he does ostensibly, he is the one who uh, saves the day. At the end of the film, it's uh, everyone else is receiving all these accolades and, and everything. And, and Joe is just chilling in the back. He doesn't uh, want any awards, any recognition, any accolades. I, I think maybe part of this is because, you know, he doesn't want to the, the recognition because he's maybe afraid that the, the states would get wind of it, right? So um, maybe that's it. I don't know. But instead, he's just chilling. Um, it's the president's security who Joe teamed up with uh, throughout the second act. That's that's the guy who gets most of the credit and the prestige. But Dolph does get, I thought this is kind of cool, the president awards him with a watch that is engraved with the phrase rock and load. So <laughs> did they, so the, when I saw that, I had to like retrace my brain of the whole movie. If that was a, if, if that was a throwback to a line somewhere in the movie, or if that was just for the watch. I think it was just for the watch. However, when the film was getting shopped and sold around, the uh, the, the phrase rock and load was um, one of the taglines that they were using to kind of help uh, market the film. But I don't remember it being anywhere else in the film. 
Okay. I thought I'd missed something. Like it was like a, like a head nod to that moment where they did something and I don't, I didn't catch it. So I'm glad that I didn't miss that. But I guess, I guess Dolph doesn't walk away from this, uh, uh, without anything. He does, uh, he does get the girl. I mean, the film ends with him, uh, driving away with, uh, that young pop star, right? Well, so, okay. I got a question about that. Uh, uh, I, I want to pick your brain on what happened next. <laughs> so, because in these movies, the one thing that they didn't have that every one of these action movies has is a, a gratuitous sex scene, especially with <laughs> these two it would have just been weird, but they like, they didn't even have the, the, the unnecessary long, passionate, you know, we saved the day kiss. Right. So when he jumps into the car, she slides over, cozies up to him real close and tight. And he sits back like the badass that he is. And then they never seal the deal, so to speak, with the kiss. So it made me wonder, is, are, are, they, are they driving off into the sunset as a couple? Or are they driving off into the sunset because he's the drummer for her new band? Or are they driving off into the sunset because his band, who is presumably dead at right. this point, gets to open for her on her next big tour? Like, what happened? You know, are they, are, did they go off as a couple? Did they go off as business partners? Did they go off as bandmates? Like, it really, like, it kind of, it's like, I, I need to know, man. So what do you think? You know, John, what, do you, what, what happened? I assumed they drove off as a couple. However, I like, I like your other idea better because, and I'll tell you why for a couple reasons. I, I guess I'm going to go around on it and I'm going to assume they drive off as business partners because, Joe is now going to be the drummer for her band because his band was sadly killed in all of the chaos and the fiasco that that occurred, which then would make sense for the character of Joe to be so invested in trying to save the day. Because like you said earlier, it doesn't make sense why Joe feels this need to kind of come in, swoop in, save the day and everything like that. Right. So I, I guess that that would make sense, right? If if his band unfortunately met their demise, then that gives him some stakes. That gives him a drive to want to uh, kill these bad guys and uh, impale them with uh, various instruments and whatnot. And then, yeah, I guess he did find a uh, he did he was able to seal a deal, and he became the uh, the drummer for Venus, right? Yeah, I li I like that story <laughs> better, you know, because especially, you know, and and you know, creeping up on. Uh, being the, the creepy old guy age of, of being a father and whatnot and still going out to these punk rock shows and, you know, and having younger people around the Dolph and Venus are, are so drastically different in age that the idea of them trying to be a couple just visually didn't work for me. You know, like I just couldn't, couldn't see it for, for me personally. So, I, I like our ending. Yeah. Better. You know, they, they rode off into the sunset and he gets to continue being a rock star and she takes him on the next big world tour and, and they both made millions of dollars and had tons of fun. There you go. I like that. Well, that's an excellent segue, uh, <laughs> Jeremiah. Um, 
I'd like to hear your recommend. Um, I, th- I think I told you earlier, but I, I like to do two recommends if you could, and you can lump these together in, in one recommend. Um, but in your opinion, I hope you enjoyed watching the film because <laughs> I, I don't know if this is something that you would have uh, picked up or even known about had I uh, not um, brought it your way. But in your opinion, does command performance get a recommend from you, not just as a Dolph Lundgren film, but as a film in general? What do you think? Uh, I think everybody should watch it once. Um, and, and cause it, it's just such a fun, campy movie. And it, 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 it there's a, like we said, we've talked about it a couple times that there's a few parts where you're like, ah, oh, come on, man. You know, like that could have been better, but as a whole thing, it's just a fun movie. You know, it's like, I can't even think of a good example. It's like Die Hard meets. What's well, a good rock and roll movie? Um, I'm trying to think of the last good rock and roll movie I've seen, what's man. A, what's a? Uh, I can't believe I'm losing the the name. The the movie with the uh, with Adam Sandler and Steve Buscemi and Brendan Fraser. Oh, the Airheads! 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 Yeah, it's it's kind of fun, like Airheads, but kind of badass, like Die Hard. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So it's I, I think it's I think it's a great movie to watch with your buddies one night. Uh, I I would not sit down with the wife and you know open up a bottle of Chardonnay and uh, and watch this movie. But you know if you if if you partake in the uh, the the legal the legal fun stores in Colorado, uh, you know partake and sit back with a beer and and a substance or two and. And and enjoy this movie with your friends because that's what it's supposed to be for. In terms of my recommend, I will say this is a fun, badass movie. I think one of the best things about it is how we talked about this, but how it effectively balances the overall silly conceit with a certain level of seriousness. I mean, this could have certainly gone into a much more goofy and slapstick realm had it not been taken seriously. Uh, but I think with Dolph being as invested as he is, he wanted to deliver something that uh, was going to please fans and not be a mockery of the genre like so many other films might have done. I think the inclusion of the whole Russian coup subplot is a nice touch that gives the film uh, much more respectability than you would normally see out of something like this. I think Command Performance is an amazing throwback to the 80s and the 90s action movies, which I think was its intent. Sure, its tongue may be in its cheek at times, but uh, Dolph is delivering the exact type of action movie that he knew his fans and fans of uh, action would want while at the same time getting to branch out and play a new character. I think this one stands out as being one of his best movies, and much of that, I think, goes to the fact that Dolph is steering the ship on this one, once again, pulling multiple duties both in front of and behind the camera. So yes, I will say this one gets a recommend, but I like what you said. It's probably best enjoyed um, with some buddies uh, around and uh, some beverages, kind of like you and I have been able to do for this episode. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, I wish that I could speak more directly to Dolph's specific films. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen a lot of his, uh, direct to video flicks to, to, to be an authority on them. But, you know, based on this one, I, like you said, I, if I hadn't, if you hadn't talked to me about this, I probably wouldn't have found it. And, uh, I am really glad that I did because it was a ton of fun to watch. And like, and I, I've, I've floated it out to a few buddies. Like you got to watch this and call me so we could talk about, <laughs> it, you know, and have a, 
have a bit of a laugh and you know like that's the thing like like i think i i, I made the comment to you before that you know part of the time you're watching this movie you're laughing with it and other times you're laughing at it which which i think is fun like it, it makes it like like we keep saying that you know if they would have just pushed two or three more bad jokes into there it would have been making fun of itself and it, it would have lost the point of the movie you know so i, I had a blast watching. yeah well, before I uh, before I let you go, I know that uh, we t- we talked briefly. I am going to be closing out the episode with um, your latest tune. But um, is there anything else that you're working on, or anything that uh, you want to give a shout out to, or what is going on? Uh, as far as the band goes, we're we're riding out this COVID nineteen mess, waiting to see what happens next. Um, we we recorded two new songs in February, and we rushed the release of them. Uh, the one song is called The Outlaw Song. It's a very, you know, I hate to say country because it's not, but it's got a Western theme to it. Um, and we made a very funny video with uh, Tiger King. Oh, nice. Of Netflix fame. And I, I truly believe that it's one of our better songs, but the video is hilarious. So, uh, the two of them together makes it really fun. Um, but the song that, uh, we've given to you is, it's called Dangerous Weapon. And, uh, last year, about two years ago now, I guess, um, a very close friend of ours had a near tragic motorcycle accident and, uh, nearly died. Was in a coma, you know, head injury, all of that. And we wrote this song about the loss of a, of a close friend and, the fear that you go through not knowing if he's going to wake up at all. And if he does wake up, is he going to remember you? Is he going to remember his girlfriend? Is he going to remember his kids? Like that, You don't know, you know, and that's a, a pretty scary thing to go through as a friend. And I, I don't think that there's a lot of, a lot of songs out there that tackle, like there's a lot of songs out there that tackle that from a, husband, wife, father, son kind of perspective. But, you know, there's there's a selfishness of worrying about me when my friend is dying that people think about and feel that nobody talks about. And it's it's a really emotional thing to to think about. So it's a it's a really, really, really great song and we're very, very proud of it. And it's officially being released on uh the on this podcast, you know, we, we, it's not released anywhere else. It's not available on Spotify or YouTube or, uh, anywhere else. This will be the first place that people get to hear it. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. I'm pretty, pretty honored for the opportunity to share that with you, uh, on this podcast. Well, Hey man, it's uh yeah, um, it, it's an absolute honor and, um, th- things will get back to normal. You know, I, I gotta believe, you know, things will get back to normal eventually. And when they do, I will be in attendance at your next show. So, uh, uh, please, uh, you, you'll have an extra um, fan there, and uh, maybe I'll wear uh, maybe I'll wear my Dolph shirt, so then some people can uh, put me out saying, "Hey, I, I listened to the podcast. Thank you." Well, and you should. You know, we uh, something we haven't touched on is uh, my wife made the logo right. for the podcast, so I, I feel like we should print a couple shirts, you know, with that logo on there. And I would, I would personally proudly wear that shirt everywhere I go. Is I, I think it's such a cool looking, uh, co- cool looking logo. Let's do so, it. 
And, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, because I have to, because my wife made it, but I truly do think it's amazing. Yeah. So I'd wear that on a shirt. Yeah, no, she did an amazing job and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely plan on that. But uh, Jeremiah, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. I do appreciate it. And uh, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews and we'll see you all next time on I must break this podcast.